Hello, hello. Welcome back to Season 2 of Donor Diaries, a podcast that examines the world of kidney donation through the voices of living donors and transplant experts committed to bringing the conversation of living organ donation to the forefront of society so patients no longer have to die or suffer while waiting for a transplant. To kick off Season 2, we're going to jump into some basics about kidney donation, some helpful Q&A for anyone out there who may identify as donor-curious. I have three experts today who are not only living kidney donors themselves, but they work full-time educating potential donors through a program called Donor Connect, a donor mentor program facilitated by the National Kidney Donation Organization. This mentor program serves potential kidney donors from over 30 transplant centers affiliated with the National Kidney Registry. Early data shows that a living kidney donor candidate is more likely to continue through the organ donation testing process if they talk to a living donor mentor first. This is really important. This leads to more people donating kidneys, which is what we all want. These guys talk to about 400 potential living kidney donors a month each. I would guess it's safe to say that they're likely talking to more potential donors each month than anyone in the whole country, which is pretty darn amazing. Today, we're going to cover the most common questions they get asked about living kidney donation. Welcome, living donor mentors Kelly Schmidt, Patty Graham, and Emily Wise. So today, we're going to go through some of the top questions that you guys get asked on a daily basis. Are you ready? Ready. All right. So the first one I have, what happens if I need a kidney later? Patty. You get one. (laughs) Sort of feel like you're paying it forward. You put a kidney in, and then if you need one later, they get you one. How do they get you one? Uh, You get moved to priority if you ever need a kidney later in life. Of course, they're banking on the fact you won't need one since you have to be healthy to donate. But if you need one, you'll get one. And has that ever happened, do you know, where somebody's needed a kidney after they've donated? It has happened, yes. Pretty uncommon, though. Pretty uncommon. 0.00 something uncommon? Something something, yes. Okay. (laughs) And what if I'm not sure? Am I going to be able to change my mind once I step forward to get tested? The beauty of this is that you are very much encouraged to change your mind at any point. And I know for a fact at my center, not only did they ask you at every appointment, but my surgeon held my hand as the anesthesiologist was putting it in and goes, this is the last time, kid. Once you fall asleep, that kidney's mine. But they very much make you understand that at any point you can completely put everything on pause or take a massive step back at any point. Yeah. My, I remember that too. Like as I was going under, they're like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, what are you telling know, me that I you're asking me this again? Times, are you yeah. sure you want me to do this? I haven't I eaten for 12 hours. Yes, we're doing this. Yes. Yes. Wake me up so I can eat. <laughs> Emily, I'm going to throw this one to you. Sure. What's the process to get approved and how long does it take? So the time kind of depends on, I usually tell my um, mentees, like this each center is a little bit different sometimes. But as far as like how the process goes, I mean, as Kelly was telling us, and we sometimes talk with them first, the transplant center talks with them first, and then they get the labs taken, they look them over, and then they kind of go through their one day of testing, sometimes two days, depending on what the center is. In my experience, my whole donation journey kind of took about six months from the start of testing until I donated. But again, that can be kind of different for everybody. Sometimes mm-hmm. a little bit shorter, sometimes a little bit longer. It was three months till I was given the all clear that I was healthy to do it, but another three months until I was given a date because they weren't sure which kidney they wanted to take. They were leaning towards the right, which is not the most common one to take. And both teams, because you're going to have a team that's for you and a team that's for your recipient, they have to come to a conclusion and agreement. So that was 
what took a while. And I know that frustrates some incoming, you know, potential donors and the timeline can get extended, but I think it's just a good example of your health is paramount and your success is what they're looking for. So they're not going to rush any aspect of it. And the fact that it took them four weeks was they talked about me every single meeting until everyone was on board with what they decided. Mm. And how long for you, Patty? I mean, how long should it have taken? <laughs> For me, uh, I think maybe about five months to get cleared. And then you donated right at five months, or no? That, that was, was just to get cleared. That was just to get cleared, but my schedule ah. uh, is part of why it took so long. Well, I think at any time, if you're the person donating, you can decide when to do that. And of course, if there's someone on the other end that you know, you're going to take that into consideration when you're determining when you do it but for me doing non-directed donations so donating to a stranger I was able to decide what worked for me because no matter when I donated someone was going to need my Mm. kidney amazing and now with like the voucher program too I mean you can donate now or at any time if you get cleared obviously and then you know somebody who you want to receive a kidney someday can be getting that you know a little bit later down the line so they don't have to happen at the same time so it's done purposely like that so somebody might donate now so that their loved one can get a kidney later in the future even though they don't need one now but they know they'll need one in the future yes exactly okay next question how long till i can go back to work i like to tell people you want to plan on six weeks And then if you're feeling wonderful, that's a great call to make to your boss and say, hey, I can come in on Monday, as opposed to the opposite of, hey, I'm a little more tired than I thought I was going to be or anything like that. So assume six, but no, it'll probably be a lot shorter than that. And I know, Kelly, you took five weeks off, and Emily, Patty, and I took two weeks off, which seems to be a little more common, especially if you don't have a physically demanding job. After you have the surgery, can you drink alcohol afterwards? I noticed all three of you put that on your top ten list. <laughs> you can unless you're pregnant. Then, then the answer is no. nothing to do with your kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Who's having drinks? <laughs> yeah, you absolutely can drink alcohol. I mean, obviously in moderation. Like they don't want you to to go overboard with it or anything, just like anything else. But. I'm from Wisconsin, which, you know, people like to drink from that state. So um, you can definitely have alcohol after. Yeah. I, I think we would have a lot less donors if, uh, if that was required. <laughs> Another question people ask, will I still be able to be active physically afterwards? Yes. Yeah. You can do all the things or most of the things. You can definitely be active afterwards. I'm just as active as I was before I donated, which was pretty active. Exactly. I mean, I think I was back to walking six miles a day by three weeks and back to running, you know, three or four miles a day by six weeks. So everyone's going to be different, but the life you had before is definitely within grasp, not that long Mm. after you donate. I know. I actually walked a mile the morning after I donated, and I'm more healthy now than I was when I donated. Yeah, I remember the day of donation, my biggest goal was I want to be up and walking. Like, that was something, and they're like, you don't have to. I'm like, no, I want to. I'm going to be up and walking because I know that's what's good for me. So, What if I step forward to get and I get tested only to find out I'm not a match? That's what I did. So I wanted to be a match for somebody even when you don't know them um, and wasn't a match. So, I mean, you have a couple options. I mean, you can donate through a voucher. Uh, there's the standard voucher program, which is wonderful now. As I kind of said before, you can donate your kidney first, and then a couple months down the road, the person you want to get the kidney could receive one that's a better match for them, which is great for everybody involved. Um, And you can be helping more than one person, which is really awesome. 
That's an amazing program. So somebody who's looking for a kidney doesn't really need to worry about finding somebody who's a direct match to them. What they just need to worry about is finding somebody who's willing and able to donate because if they can find that person, they can go into the exchange program or, or get a voucher. And am I too old to donate? I've talked to people who were in their early 70s, and some of those folks are much healthier than some of the 30-year-olds I know. So most centers have a soft cutoff somewhere between 70 and 80, but most of them do take it case by case. So don't ever think you're old, too old to do this. Go in, let them be the ones that rule you out. Mm-hmm. But you, I, I have found that my folks that I've talked to who were in their 60s and early 70s have just a great of a success rate post-surgery as my folks who are younger. I get the recovery question a lot for people that are older. They're like, is it going to be the same? Because when I was 24 and donated, they're like, I'm probably not going to have the same recovery that you had at 24. I'm like, well, you might be surprised. I mean, it really depends on everybody because they're a little different, you know, depending on healing. But I kind of tell them the same thing. I know some hospitals have an age limit on the lower limit of the age between 18 and 25, depending on the transplant center. But yeah, older people can definitely donate if they're healthy, have normal kidney function, don't have diabetes, cancer, blood pressure issues. But I like what you said, Kelly, let the transplant center rule you out rather than rule yourself out for being too old because it's it's more of a function of health versus age. Okay, this question applies to non-directed donors who don't have an intended recipient. Can I meet the person I donate to? You can. Um, you don't have to. In my situation, what I did, I asked my nurse coordinator and they said to write a letter They also prepared me, like you might not hear back from the letter, but it's up to the recipient if they want to write back to you. So I wrote the letter. Um, I heard back probably a week later. Um, They called me on the phone because I gave them my contact information. And then that was the first time I I spoke to them. So for me, it was very emotional and it was a very cool experience. But I can also see the other side of not necessarily wanting to know who you donated to also. Yeah, and that was you, Patty, right? Yeah. So what was your thought process behind that? Uh, I kind of like not knowing. I like just thinking that someone out there has it and I just put that out into the world and I don't need to know what's happening to it. And I also feel like it can be less complicated because I'm not tied to another person's health. Mm-hmm. I just I just sent that gift out and, and that's that. Very cool. So it can go either way and it's really not up to you. Exactly. It's up to the <laughs> exactly. recipient. They get to decide whether or not that happens or not. Next question, what changes do I have to make to my diet after I donate? You have to be vegan. Have you been I waiting know. for that question? Everyone uh, turns off. Near. <laughs> <laughs> so besides being vegan, anything else? <laughs> Um, If you hadn't already been drinking water like a fiend, this is now the time to do it. Um, I have a lot of folks ask me if I pee more than I used to, but I drink a lot more water than I used to, so I don't know if it's the kidney or it's my eight gallons of water a day. Um, There's absolutely nothing that I can't eat. I do still eat meat patties. um, (laughs) I do as well. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, There's really nothing. I'll leave it in there. Don't worry. My team used to just always tell me this isn't the time to go crazy on the protein, so no like muscle milkshakes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner or anything crazy. Um, but besides that, you're going to do everything you normally did. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give me going into this? Something you wish you knew before you donated that you didn't know? 
you have to really be your own advocate to donate because the centers are really overworked. They're very busy. And so for me, I had to be persistent with the Mm -hmm. center to get things to move. Almost every appointment I had to reach out to the center and like, why aren't you getting back to me? What's going on? So the fact that I had to keep reaching out, I wish I had known that. And I feel like if I had, it maybe wouldn't have delayed my whole thing for over a year Mm -hmm. because of it. That's a really good point. Because for me too, I mean, when I started the process, I was like, oh, I might donate like next month. And I was like preparing my family, like this could happen really fast. And it doesn't necessarily do that. I mean, possibly could, but in my experience, it definitely takes longer than you think. Hmm. So I would just say to be prepared. And also, I remember like a week before, I had to get like an extra test taken because they're like, oh, there might be a complication. Like this came up in your blood work or something. So like be prepared for some extra tests that could happen um, just in case, because they really want to make sure as a donor that you are safe and they definitely don't want to put you through anything you know, if it's going to harm you. So they take a lot of precautions to make sure everything is good. It's hmm. great advice. I think just being patient with yourself. Like, I'm sure I can speak for everybody in this room. You're independent. You're healthy women. You're used to doing stuff by yourself on your own time frame, you know, having the energy and whatever to do everything. And I think for at least that first week or two, you really kind of have to let people help you. And I think that was my hardest part Mm. is letting people, yeah, you can go go food shopping for me. Yeah, you can go, you know, do whatever I need you to do and not feel like I had to do it all. And that definitely was a game changer in my recovery that if I let myself have a week or two of getting the help and more importantly, asking for the help and the help that was so very willingly coming into my house. If I would have said it louder, the whole neighborhood would have come in. So I think knowing that there's a lot of people that will be supporting you and behind you when you do something like this, whether or not they're hundred percent on board with your decision to do it, you know, they do want what's best for you and to really embrace that and let that happen in your life. And it will only make the recovery that much smoother. I think another nice thing about that is when you let that happen is other people get to see it's not so scary. So mm-hmm. it's like exactly. advocate mm-hmm. because they see everything's fine. I'm okay. And- More recently, people have been asking you questions about COVID and whether or not they can donate if they're not vaccinated. Can somebody donate if they're not vaccinated? It depends on the center. Yeah, okay. the centers get to decide. If they don't, or even if they do, they do have a very strict uh, COVID protocol. Some centers have you test two weeks before your surgery date, and then you have to quarantine at home for those two weeks. Other centers do not, but they are really cautious in bringing any disease in or having any disease go out. So just be real clear with your center of if they'll allow you to donate, you know, vaccine or not, and then what their, you know, surgery protocol is going to be regarding it. So what happens if my intended recipient is in another state? I know in many cases the donor would have to travel to the recipient's state to donate. Are there cases where that can be avoided? There is remote donation now. So you can donate at a center that's closer to you in location and your kidney can fly out to wherever the recipient would be and they get the kidney the same day. Very cool. Did anybody travel for their donation here? No. No. Mine was flown and then stuck in traffic, but that did make it. Find that out later. How long do you stay in the hospital after you donate? So every center is a little bit different, but two days is pretty much the average. So for me personally, my uh, report time was 5 a.m. I was in the OR by 6 a.m. on a Tuesday, and by lunchtime on Thursday, I was leaving mm-hmm. Philadelphia. That was my timeline as well. What yep. about what about you guys? Mine was the exact same. Mm-hmm. The same. Wow. 
So I know that the recipient's insurance covers the cost of uh, your donation, but what things do donors have to pay for out of pocket and what can be done to make sure that they don't come out behind financially? Well, you shouldn't pay for anything out of pocket. And to that point, there are even programs to help with lost wages and travel reimbursement. And that depends on how you donate. So that is a good question for the center when you talk to them. Mm -hmm. Because depending on how you donate, you may or may not get those benefits. Yeah. You shouldn't lose money donating a Mm -hmm. kidney. You should definitely take advantage of the programs that are out there to help you. And I notice when I talk to people, they're just, they're giving people, they want to give their kidneys. So they they don't want to, oh, I don't need it. I'll do my best. And they don't want to take any of these, uh, take advantage of any of these benefits. But really, they're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're there to make this doable. And I think it's important that people take advantage of them, even if they don't necessarily need it personally. Mm-hmm. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Yes. Sets the example that that's the expectation and it's not just there for people who wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. It should be there for everybody. And exactly. it keeps the program going because I mean, if people just keep saying, oh, I don't need it, I don't need it pretty soon, then they may be like, yeah, exactly. then they might not keep offering them. Mm-hmm. So I think if it's available to you, you should definitely take them. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much to Kelly, Patty, and Emily. That was that was awesome, guys. We have a truly incredible lineup of guests this season. I'm, I'm really excited to share these interviews with you. Next month, we have Lynn Bulldock, one of less than 100 people who have donated both a kidney and part of her liver to two different people. She shares an incredible story about living donation, loss, and redemption. We have Dr. Abigail Marsh from Georgetown University, who will talk about her research on altruism and psychopaths and just how all this relates to living donors. She's a neuroscientist who's actually scanned the brains of several donor diaries' guests to see just what's happening in their amygdalas that would make them want to donate a kidney to a stranger. I'll be interviewing my partner, Donald Griswold, from Maytree River Productions about the film we're producing, Crowdsource for Life. Our film is about giving big and features first-person, professionally told stories from non-directed kidney donors. Can't wait to share more about this. We'll talk about the barriers of living donation with Martha Gershon, who's a living donor, living donor advocate, and author of the book Kidney to Share. She'll shed some light on why it's often difficult to donate an organ and what we can do to fix that. I'm so excited to have Nobel laureate Al Roth as a guest this season. Al won a Nobel Prize in Economics in 2012 for his work in market design. He designed the market for kidney exchange and is the reason paired kidney exchanges exist. He's going to discuss the power and impact of being the catalyst that starts a kidney chain and talk about what would be possible if a kidney chain could be initiated by a deceased donor and not just a living donor. Did you know that kidneys are being exchanged between different countries right now? It's pretty exciting stuff. We're going to dive into the emerging world of international kidney donation, where it's happening now, and what's possible when we open the borders and exchange kidneys with incompatible pairs in other countries. And this season, we're even touching on deceased organ donation a bit, because it's super important and very much part of the solution to getting more people transplanted. You'll meet Philip Hanks, the only man I've ever met, with five transplanted organs, He has an incredibly moving story about persistence and the importance of advocating for your own health. We'll also hear from Greg Siegel, founder of an organization called Organize, about organ procurement and transplantation policy reform. We'll be releasing new episodes the first Wednesday of every month. I hope you join us. For more information on Living Donation and the Donor Connect program, please check out my show notes. 
You can also find us on Facebook and be part of the conversation there. Donor Diaries is produced by Rob Lee along with Matry River Productions. If you're enjoying the podcast and are excited about season two, please take a moment to subscribe and like us so you'll know when we drop our next episode. This is Lori Lee. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.